Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 269 for Monday, October 30th, 2023. My name is Johnny, and joining me, still surviving, is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. I am very much alive, despite the weird time changes that happen this time of year. So depending on where you are in the world, this show might be coming out a little bit earlier, a little bit later. But uh, that'll all be back to normal in uh, a week when North America catches up with everybody else. Uh, so podcasting and time changes is always a fun time. Uh, speaking of survival, we were talking about Ark Survival Ascended in the pre-show this week. Uh, neither one of us have played, but I have noticed it was absolutely everywhere on YouTube this past weekend. So I looked into it. I was just curious and I had lots and lots of questions. And so we discussed that in the render distance, which is the extended version of the podcast. It's for our paid Patreon members. If you are supporting the show financially, thank you ever so much. And you get extra content, things like the monthly Minecraft hangout, which we recorded for October this past Saturday, that will be available on Patreon for paid members by the time this show goes out. So if you're listening later, it's already there. If you are listening live, which is another perk of being a member, then just you'll you'll see it before this main show gets published. And I should also mention that Patreon has introduced free memberships. Unfortunately, this is a bit of a misnomer as it functions much the same as say following the spawn chunks on something like a social media platform like Twitter or Instagram or YouTube, that kind of a thing. Uh, it's the paid members that enjoy the perks like the render distance and the hangout and the quarterly hangouts, that kind of thing. Uh, so if you see something like that and you're a little bit confused as to you know how that works, uh, you can become a free member. You will get notifications when things go out. Uh, the main podcast is published on Patreon and it uh, is free to everybody uh, as it is on you know Spotify, YouTube and, and iTunes and all that kind of stuff. But in order to get access to uh, the special content, you have to become a, a paid member. Yeah, and we've had a decent month of uh, paid member content. We've had our quarterly hangout earlier this month as well. And uh, yeah, we've got plenty of stuff coming up. Uh, but now let's log in and talk about what we've been doing in our Minecraft lives. Why don't you kick us off, Joel? I have started and completed something in Minecraft inside of a week. I'm going to brag about it for as long as I can. <laughs> Congratulations. What, what what was it? It was the marsh along the East Road just outside of West Hill. Uh, I have been basically delaying my completion of the keep and some of the things inside the town because I have to replace a data pack that involves flying around and replacing every last table and chair that I've placed in West Hill, which is we're not talking about that right now. Uh, so this marsh was something that uh, I wanted to do to kind of help the outside of the town. Uh, I've been talking about this in the last few weeks where I've been building smaller, lower things, uh, landscaping things that help the town feel like it's not just plunked in the middle of a sunflower plains. And uh, I've never built a marsh in Minecraft. I had to look up what a marsh was because I was like, I want to call this a swamp, but I feel like this is not a swamp because we don't have these or we have this kind of thing around Nova Scotia, but we don't call them swamps. Turns out swamps require trees. If it's this kind of marshland with a tree in it, it's a swamp. But if there's no trees, it's actually a marsh. And then there's bogs and other various versions and subcategories within a marsh. Shout out to Grandpa Crafter in my Twitch channel that looked that up <laughs> and mm -hmm. let, let us know. We learned something that day. Um, but it actually, it came out well, but it came out very different than I was anticipating. Because I, you know, I've gone for hikes, I've seen marshes around and I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to use moss. I'm going to use bushes. I'm going to use grass. And then my idea was to take the swamp from Minecraft dungeons and kind of like move that into main Minecraft 
And I think, okay, so I, I make the whole thing moss and then I dig out some holes and I fill them with water. And one, that was taking forever. And two, it just didn't look right. Like it just, it felt like wet ground, like a, a golf course that has too much rain. It didn't really feel like a marsh. And so after discussing a few things in Twitch chat, I tried doing the opposite. I flooded the entire area first with water and then started placing other blocks. And because we can waterlog leaves and we can waterlog mangrove roots, I started using mangrove roots, muddy mangrove roots, mud. I used some uh, stripped dark oak in there as well, and then started layering grass on top of it because the grass plant that you can lay down in Minecraft will go on top of mud and muddy mangrove roots. It won't go on the roots themselves, but you can always put moss carpet or an azalea bush on top of those. And so over a series of layers, I created this marsh and it actually it came out pretty well. It stands out in the landscape as a unique feature that looks really cool on my on my map mod. But it provides this thing that just is a natural kind of divot in the Minecraft landscape that I didn't want to just fill in with stuff like I just didn't want to flood it and have it be just another lake that looks kind of barren. And so I was able to put this bridge in over this natural kind of gully in the landscape, drain the marsh, the marsh down a landscape into the main West Hill River and then decorate everything around it. And it led to some really interesting discoveries about block combinations and doing this kind of stuff and, and not wanting to landscape every single block because as I get farther away from West Hill, like I'm just creating work for myself. And so it was a good exercise in like, I wanted the marsh to be something where I'm basically placing every block to make it look right. But then the banks of the marsh, I didn't want to just like completely change every dirt side grass block, you know, to be something special. So I was kind of like experimenting with in the same way that you will dither a texture in, in a big wall in Minecraft from one texture to the other, one block to the other. I was doing the same thing. I was kind of taking my handcrafted landscapes and sort of like petering them out until they're just, it's just hills that are spammed with Minecraft bone meal. And just, it's really not change that much and I feel like it worked out okay uh, I, I ended up being able to work on a bridge and um, the, the process is ongoing I'm at that stage now where my to-do list in West Hill is shorter and I no longer have the luxury of choosing something that I want to do out of a bunch of things that need to be done I'm down to the stuff that needs to be done mm -hmm. and so it's a little bit tedious and you've done some landscaping before where there are big projects and this river goes like the full length of the zone so like you know, I'm, I'm just like, you know, I have to just focus and just say, okay, from this bridge now to the main t bridge in the town, I need to do both sides of this river. And so that's what we're doing. So after I finished the marsh and everything else, I just kind of, it's still a work in progress, but I started a small cliff that was there and I'm starting to kind of work my way down. And I'm just trying to figure out like what's going to be the most efficient time effective way to make this look like it's not forgotten, but also not have to change every single block in the landscape to be touched by me because it'll just take forever and um so i'm curious because of of your experience with landscaping and stuff like that uh when i was articulating this on stream the best way to describe it was when i've done something that i'm really happy with like this bridge in this marsh and there's other parts of the Ma minecraft landscape around it that haven't been touched it makes it look like a mistake it makes it look like i forgot to do something in this section and so the perfectionist in me just kind of like jumps up and says like i need i need to fix it it looks it looks broken it looks like you forgot to do something here do you have that experience when you're doing 
like landscaping and and putting your like making your builds feel part of the world like how do you find where you draw the line to stop yeah absolutely i i i, I get that i think mostly where i draw the line to stop is like can i see it from where i'll be standing most of the time while i'm there <laughs> i think that's mm. the main thing is like more often than not because so much of my content is made for videos my concern is if i'm standing outside of my front door doing my introduction am i still seeing that or is it hidden behind the ridge of a hill and I don't really need to worry about terraforming the stuff that's on the other side of the hill? It's a very, like, movie set style thing. And it's sort of the reason why on popular servers the joke is that, like, you don't see the backs of builds and people don't build the backs because more often than not people aren't looking at that most of the time. Or they'll they'll fly over it on a stream, maybe, but all of the important stuff is going to be in the facade of what you've built. And if you're building a more immersive world like you are, if you're building the interiors of all of the houses in the town and, you know, you're doing the landscape and stuff, it can be very tough to figure out where to draw that line. Um, I will say, though, uh, before we get too far away from it, this swamp looks brilliant. Uh, the, 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 the marsh, sorry. Uh, I think it's a, <laughs> a really good use of the of the blocks. You've got so much variety of foliage in there. And it's not like you've just stuck to one block with the mangrove roots waterlogged. And that alone is a great idea for any kind of marshland like this. But you've got enough other blocks in there that you could plant grass on, like mud and you know, bits and pieces like that. I would have killed for this stuff. Think, thinking back to the, um, the decidedly vanilla season that we keep talking about because it keeps coming up in relation to Ark Survival Evolved. Um, when I was designing that sort of jungle area around a big lake... I was using, I think even at the time it was soul sand under the waterline as mud because obviously mud hadn't been implemented in the game, wouldn't be implemented for another four or five updates. But then we didn't even have bubble columns then because it was pre-113. So soul sand under the surface of the water wasn't going to make any difference. But I was building in like patches of leaves coming in from the sides to simulate like algae building up on the sides of this pond. And leaves couldn't be waterlogged at the time even waterlogging was like a gleam in the eye of the mojang devs at that point so like i i think everything has come on so much since then that i would absolutely have loved like this this is the kind of aesthetic that i was going for when i was trying to terraform some waterscapes back in the day so yeah you've you've nailed it i think that looks really really good and blends with the landscape around it quite well i think thanks man i, I appreciate that and there's definitely a lot of things like this that because of this show knowing that waterlogged leaves were coming, I 100% held off. I'm yeah. like, okay, all the waterfalls, all the riverscaping is going to be later because I'm going to want to have waterlogged leaves. You know, when you drain any kind of like custom stream into another river, you know, body or body of water, having the ability to control the water, have it trickle down and then have it go through stuff or under stuff uh, and soften the edges of the Minecraft landscape by putting leaves like in the water and then have a bush above the water and have it look like the bush is actually thirsty and like as has drooped down into the water. It makes for such a cool layering effect and it really helps out. And one of the things that I talked about a number of times on the stream, and you can see me doing it for people that want to go watch the VOD, but in order to kind of hide the landscape and blend things in, what I did was I just took ferns and grass and basically like checkerboard the landscape with it and then go back and bone meal each of them. So you're dealing with two high grass and the two high ferns, which look very different, obviously, from the one high ferns. 
And you can, you know, do that to various degrees of intensity, but it really hides all of the, the dirt sides of the Minecraft block that's out there across the landscape and helps you kind of blend like what you've done into, okay, as it gets far enough away from me. And that's where I, that's kind of was my rule two um, picks was, was looking and saying like, okay, what am I looking at here that I'm going to be paying attention to? And what is just kind of like happening in the background as like Minecraft landscape and my brain just says like I don't need to look at that mm -hmm. and when it got that far away that's basically when I stopped like terraforming and and doing stuff like that because otherwise like you'd be there all day or all year depending on how you know detailed you want to be about it but but yeah thanks I, I appreciate it it's it was a fun proof of concept because there's another low-lying area in front of the main gate in in west hill that i'm going to be doing the same thing there's another river on the other side of the valley and so i'm going to be doing the same thing but on, on a much larger scale and the the thing that i would have killed for is something in minecraft that would have been like a cattail or a pussy willow depending on where you are in the world they have mm -hmm. different names but any kind of reed because obviously we have sugarcane but that's a very bright green and i've even dumbed down my texture to be a little bit more natural looking and it's still too bright and that can't go in the water because, of course, water will wash it away um, or just not. You can't waterlog it, rather. Um, and then bamboo, again, you can't put it in the water, but bamboo doesn't stop growing. And so you can't just have it be two or three blocks tall. It just keeps on going. And so um, when I put string on top of the bamboo, it looked OK. The bamboo did, but the string stood out immediately as just like I can see the string. So um, I we I don't have any reeds. I tried something like um, a glass pane with a candle on top of it. Like I tried a couple different things to try to get the brown candle. It does sort of look like the top of a reed uh, or a pussy willow, but it just it didn't it just didn't look right because the glass pane didn't look like a stock. It just looked like a glass pane, you know. So it was just it was tricky to try and work that stuff out and ultimately i just bailed on it and just decided to do too high grass and like that's kind of the read uh, as it as it comes and you reminded me actually i forgot i looking at my screenshots i forgot something i normally put some soul sand at the bottom of rivers so that it looks like they're bubbling like they're mm -hmm. trickling uh and add some animation so i need to go back and do that <laughs> 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 there you go not quite a uh, a full weekend project then but near enough dang it um, yeah <laughs> that's the thing though details like that just suggest themselves to you all the time when you're working on projects mm. like this so yeah I, I i recognize how difficult it is to be done with stuff um and the, yeah, the other thing i was thinking of was um small drip leaf just as like another too high plant to throw in there but i can see you've already got a bit of big drip leaf on one side and you're using it very sparingly so perhaps that's a conscious decision on your part just to avoid bogging it down with too many blocks no pun intended with the the bogging it down but like <laughs> having too many different types of things you end up just cluttering your inventory with stuff and it looks chaotic instead of intentional um and so yeah i, I can see that being a a point of restraint that makes a lot of sense in this case yeah i only had one that's the other thing i only had the one small drip leaf i would have had right. to go somewhere to try to find more and have to strip a lush cave because yeah, I, yeah. don't, I don't know of any other way to get them whereas the big drip leaf you can just make more and um and i i liked it and it worked out in small doses it did it was very bright green compared to everything else i was using so it, it did sort of feel a little bit strange i don't remember if the small drip leaf was a slightly more subdued color but i've used it on occasion in very small patches of coastline um but um but yeah like i, I didn't have very many i only ever had like a half dozen because i think the the ones that i have were back when you could get it from the wandering trader and so like i got it the once 
and then just stocked up and then that yeah. was it and then back in the day when it was it. like the rarest resource in the world yeah <laughs> that was like that was us yeah. on empire season one was just immediately ambushing the wandering trader to see if they had drip leaf or not because you couldn't get it any other way yeah so that's so that's been my my week in minecraft i'm looking forward to checking things off more uh it's nice when you come to the end of a stream and you can open up your little to-do list and like check two or three things off that's always a really good a really good feeling so oh, what have you been checking off in minecraft I have been mining out an entire chunk of the tallest mountain I could find using moss. And uh, this was also part of, like, a, a series of things came together in the world to establish that this was what I wanted to do next. First of all, I had got a beacon, so I immediately wanted to make the beacon obsolete by moss mining. Um, <laughs> and it's obviously not exclusively the way it works, but I was thinking, yeah, I want to mine out a chunk, talk about ore distribution, you know, look at things that, you know, transition down through the world from tall mountains where you get lots of iron and coal generating through the copper levels, maybe a bit of emerald, and then down into deep slate layers. And having just recently gotten hold of some alays, I thought they'd be perfect for composting all the moss byproducts, right? Like the, the wheat seeds, the azaleas, stuff like that. So I found this really tall mountain range in a savanna, fairly close to where I found my first pillager outpost, dug down through the tallest peak of that, which is about Y224, I think. So from there all the way to bedrock, through an ancient city. <laughs> and I, I did not know that that was there at the time, but in retrospect, it makes perfect sense. They're going to be uh, underneath those really tall mountains with that lower erosion value in the terrain. And so I was encountering deep dark as high up as like Y50, so like oh, wow. almost at sea level, which I didn't think was honestly that possible. But apparently if you get really large mountains, it just increases the height to which deep dark can generate. And I never see it outside of the deep slate layers. So I was surprised. And then I was concerned because I started to hit skulk shriekers. <laughs> I was I was mining out this one square of terrain, but there was one point where a cave had generated with some skulk in it. And there was one shrieker that was within the radius to hear when I was mining out this square of moss next door. Uh, so I had to do a quick expedition through a cave to disable that, and then dug down into deep slate layers and found myself hitting ancient city buildings. Unfortunately, I was in a central part of the city where a giant wall of terrain had occurred, so I wasn't digging directly down into like an open cavern. It was more like the city was to either side of me. And even there, there weren't enough shriekers nearby to actually start, you know, getting me strikes and summoning the wardens. So I was very lucky that the highest peak in this mountain range also coincided with a fairly safe piece of terrain to dig out if you were going to dig anything out of the deep dark. Um, so yeah, naturally I ended up exploring the ancient city afterwards, but the, uh, allays were really helpful. You still have to keep moving the composting setup that they're throwing stuff into down every so often, but the fact that they can fly maybe 10 blocks above or below you to find a note block that they are paired to makes the whole process a lot nicer because you're not going up and down ladders or moving your composting setup every few blocks in order to have access to it so you can sort of let them run stuff in the background while you get all of the the grind work done it still took longer than i expected but having them around was a, a real help man like i i've yet to use moss to do this this kind of mining and it, it looks like a really satisfying departure from the normal like set up a beacon and just like dig around in circles until you get down to the bottom and yeah. uh the fact that you got so close like what like seeing the slice of 
the deep dark and the the um lush cave kind of showing up is it lush cave or is that aftermath of your moss mining yeah that's that's just that's just moss that okay. i laid down and it's it's right. it's spreading out into the neighboring caves when i end up bone mealing it because right. you just bone meal a, a ton of moss in that area and it will only outgrow the walls of the chunk where there is open terrain into caves and stuff like that yeah whenever i think about mining down in this way in minecraft now i just especially with the mountains and the different um caves from 118 that we have i just i keep on thinking about that scene from lord of the rings when gandalf falls through like space and time and the, like yeah. they're, they're in the deep dark of i'm not sure what layer of the earth they're supposed to be in but there's a great wide shot in i think it's the two towers and it's just the balrog and gandalf falling like in a cave and there's water at the bottom like it's just it's yeah, this yeah. massive shot and i just think like man that would end up that would be my luck you know you come down instead of going down through the the side of a of a ancient city i'd be like arriving in the ceiling of one you know, mm -hmm. just you know plummeting into this very dangerous environment but it's such a stark contrast when you start to run into skulk uh, up against even deep slate i mean it's it's dark but it's much darker than deep slate uh but up against regular stone like it's such a strange kind of combination it feels really alien yeah 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 and it was it was really bizarre running into it in the first place and that was still in the higher regions of the world and there were still a couple of areas where the deep dark biome hadn't spread there so i was getting you know skeletons dropping in on me every so often and then you know killing them in the corridor and it was spreading skulk from a catalyst and i went no like calm down um but yeah that, that was a really fun project uh we got a shulker box worth of ores out of a single chunk um, which was pretty immense. About wow. half of that was coal, but there were still at least five stacks of iron ore. There was probably one of the larger diamond veins that I've ever seen. We ended up with about half a stack of diamond, 16 emerald ore, but no deep slate emerald. So obviously the search for deep slate emerald ore continues for me at least. Um, but yeah, it was really good fun. And then obviously that naturally led to you know, the game has thrown an ancient city at me a couple of times now, so I should just go ahead and explore it. So I did that, uh, went around looting the rooms. Um, I had one brief and intentional encounter with the warden because I felt like I was being too careful and I still wanted to make the video sort of entertaining. So uh, yeah, showed a couple of strategies for how to avoid the warden, but I was sneaking around on wool most of the time, ended up getting uh, the ward armor trim, but not the silence armor trim, the silence being the rarest one. Um, so I still need to raid more ancient cities until hopefully I find one of those. And I got plenty of swift sneak books, so I'm working with that now. And, you know, obviously the echo shards and music disc fragments and stuff like that. The stuff that's kind of largely collectible but not super useful. Um, but yeah, was happy to at least tick that off the list. And now I'm working on a couple of build palettes thanks to the fact that I have a bunch of moss. Uh, and part of the reason I was doing the moss mining in the first place was because... I wanted to craft a bunch of mossy cobblestone, I wanted to use moss in build projects, and I have a more industrial feeling block palette in mind for a factory build that's going to go around my mud farm, which at this point is just out in the open, I haven't built anything formal around it yet, and I wanted to do some building. So that's what I'm currently working on, is just this sort of uh, factory style thing using a gradient between moss and red bricks. Uh, so there's a lot of additional blocks that have to go in between, but I think it's uh, turning out quite nicely as a little experiment in this colourful starter area that I've begun in the survival guide world. Yeah, I, you know, being familiar with your survival guide world and the colour palettes that you've been using, like this looks really, really cool. I like the transition from moss to mossy cobble, and then you've got some copper and stuff in there. And um, the oxidation on copper blocks is really interesting too, because it provides like 
a bit of that green and a bit of that orange, you know, that you need to kind of yes. go between the, the, the green and the brick colors. And, and then um, it looks like you've got some, uh, is it packed mud in there as well? Yeah, there's, there's yeah. packed mud. There's a little bit of mud bricks on the more structural elements like the supporting pillars. Right. And then that transitions yep. Yep. into granite and bricks. And the, the main reason I wanted to do this in the first place was that <laughs> because it's been like Halloween season and I've done, you know digging straight down was the the theme of like the moss uh, mining chunks so i thought you know people are scared of digging straight down in minecraft so i'll kind of jokingly make an aside about that and introduce that and then obviously the ancient city is an actual scary experience but then this one is about building with blocks that scare you and so uh i i oh, don't nice. like using granite and red brick a great deal because i find the textures kind of yep. difficult to use and so i thought let's structure an episode like that i did one in survival guide one that was basically like yeah building with blocks that you hate and i i wanted to use granite and red bricks in a build it makes sense for it to be a sort of industrial factory kind of thing there's a lot of red brick builds in the uk and i was talking about why those are naturally going to look a little bit different to red bricks in minecraft because bricks in minecraft can't age the way real world bricks do and so you end up building with more texture and you know thus the gradient for this factory wall with a deep slate tile roof so that in this case where i've done roof gradients for a lot of my other houses i'm making the gradient the wall and making the roof more plain and i think that right. adds adds a much needed element of uh you know somewhere peaceful some of that 70 30 rule that we always talk yes, about yeah. on the show yeah yeah and to, like with deep slate tile for the roof too because of the way that it works with either polished deep slate or deep slate bricks all of which have slabs and stairs like if you need to like add a little texture just to make it not so you know plain or add any kind of outline or frame to it it's totally something that you can work with and, and it's not going to throw off the the balance of that 70 30 ratio um i really mm -hmm. like the uh, the windows by the way the is it um acacia trapdoors yes yeah it was going to be either those or the crimson trapdoors and acacia suited the palette a little yeah. more but yeah, yeah like having great. having high windows having barred windows like that would just make a lot of sense for a, a an industrial sort of industrial revolution era factory like this so with the extra ancient cities uh that you've been finding are do you have any plans for those on the survival guide because you've had like t two or three now in the in the series yeah there's one directly underneath my base that I thought was going to be the one I raided first, and then we dug down into this other one that was 2,000 or so blocks away, and I thought, well, while I'm here, I, I might as well do that before I go home again. And so, yeah, I think the one underneath my base I will eventually do something with, but I sort of don't want to make any promises because in Season 2 of Survival Guide, I started thinking, yeah, I can, I can do a transformation project on this ancient city, and I just ended up, like, it, it fell flat, and I... I moved on to other projects empires started you know and I, I that kind of fell by the wayside so i'm i'm taking it one step at a time with that stuff but i would like to for a start make sure that there's at least one active skulk shrieker in there so that we can use that to spawn the warden if we want to do some shenanigans with the warden later but i i like the idea of preserving the structure and doing some cool stuff with it transforming it into a base or restoring it to uh, what it might have looked like when it was in use so we'll see how that goes in the meantime, we should probably move on into the news, because there's a fair bit to cover this time around. Uh, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshots 23W43A was released on October 25th, with a, a B snapshot a couple of days later just to fix a couple of crashes. 
So the main story here in the patch notes for 23W43A, you will find the experimental features for 1.21, the copper family of blocks, has been expanded, including chiseled copper, which is crafted with two cut copper slabs of a shared oxidation level, or copper grates, which are a new decorative block unique to the copper family, crafted with four copper blocks of a shared oxidation level. And you can make both of those in the stone cutter as well if you want to get more of those. The copper bulb is a new light emitting block that can toggle its light emission through redstone pulses. Oxidizes like other copper blocks and emits less light the more oxidized they are. Fresh copper bulbs emit light level 15, and as they oxidize, the light level reduces to 12 for exposed, 8 for weathered, and then finally fully oxidized emits a light level of 4. While the copper bulb is unpowered, it will toggle its light on and off when it receives a redstone pulse. A copper bulb's light will stay on even when the redstone source is removed until it receives another redstone pulse to toggle it off. A redstone crystal will glow in the center of copper bulbs while it is powered by a redstone signal, and comparators will read a signal strength of 15 if the copper bulb's light is on. That counts for all four of the oxidation stages. They don't have different comparator signals. They are all signal strength 15. The block does not conduct redstone power despite receiving it, and copper bulbs can be crafted using three copper blocks of a shared oxidation level, one redstone dust and one blaze rod. Copper doors and trapdoors were also added. These oxidize over time and can be waxed, much like the other copper blocks. They work like wooden doors in that they can be opened and closed with player interactions as well as with redstone. Chiseled copper and copper grates can be crafted in the stone cutter and they yield four blocks for every copper block used, making them much more economical, like cut copper. Tough has also been expanded to have its own family of blocks, including stair, slab, wall, and chiseled variants of the natural tough block, Tough bricks with stair, slab, wall, and chiseled variants. Polished tough with stair, slab, and wall variants also appear. And all these tough variants can be crafted in the stone cutter. There are some other changes in 23W43A. These are changes intended for the 1.20.3 update, which we should be receiving as a minor update to the current version of Minecraft that we're all playing, much before 1.21 is on the release schedule. The bat now has a new look, an updated model, animations, and texture. Thrown enderpearls now produce a teleportation sound on impact, and there are small tweaks to the telemetry data collection screen. In technical changes in 23W43A, we now have a tick command. This is an administrative and debugging command that allows players with admin permissions to control the ticking flow and measure the performance of the game. The command requires elevated permissions, admins, and above, so it is not available by default in command blocks and data packs. You can't do it just with creative mode on a server. You have to be a server admin as well. There's also changes to Jigsaw's selection and placement priority. So the selection priority, when the parent piece is being processed for connections, this controls the order in which this Jigsaw block attempts to connect to its target piece. Jigsaws will be processed in descending priority order and randomly within the same priority. Placement priority explained a little bit here. When this jigsaw block connects to a piece, this is the order in which that piece is processed for connections in the wider structure. Pieces will be processed in descending priority order with the default insertion order breaking ties within the same priority. This functionality, the article reads, has been added to support the ability for jigsaw structures to generate branches in a depth first order, as well as give finer control over ordering of connections. 
all existing jigsaw blocks will default their selection and placement priority to zero, resulting in the same behavior as before these two configurable values were introduced. So it's not going to break anything and hopefully allows for more flexibility for map makers to introduce jigsaw based structures. The fixed bugs of note in 23w43a, I'm just going to hand all of those over to the uh, changelog that is linked in our show notes at thespawnchunks.com. You can also find that at minecraft.net. There's a full list of bugs, most of which are cosmetic, relating to the crafter, uh, spelling corrections to console messages. There's a few accessibility tweaks to realms options in there as well. But the significant bug fixes happen in 23w43b, which was only released a couple of days after the A snapshot, and that just fixes a crash on server startup and a crash when leaving the configure realm screen. Once again, we'll have links to both the change logs for these updates linked in our show notes at thespawnchunks.com. So because you and I are both, uh, we'll say, builders at heart, uh, I thought it would be fun to save the copper and tough block discussion for our main discussion later on. Uh, and that's, again, 1.21 content. But the stuff coming sooner is really interesting. I was not expecting a new bat model and animation. Were you? No, not at all. It's a pleasant surprise. And my take on this is that it's a great testing ground for something we talked about on the show previously, which is updating old mobs. We've talked about the more detailed and character-based sort of animations that the frog has and the sniffer for example and they feel a lot more modern compared to older mobs like cows and sheep and i've been debating this a little bit i've been talking to my stream chat about it as well and i think the bat is a really great testing ground for this because for one thing nobody is really attached to the bat aesthetically if anything players are neutral to disliking bats just because they don't really do a whole bunch and I think it's a good way for Mojang to try and breathe new life into a new, an old character, you know, an, an old mob. And the other major reason I think the bat is a great starting point is because there is not, to my knowledge, any existing merchandise tied to the bat. Whereas if you are remodeling sheep, for example, then suddenly all of the merchandise they have that's based around sheep, like plus sheep and, you know, little key rings right. and enamel pins and whatnot, all of that stuff needs to be redesigned in order to fit the new sheep model in-game. Otherwise, they're selling stuff that feels like, you know, it's from a bygone era <laughs> and uh, before all of the, you know, the, the upgrades to some of this stuff. And while that obviously makes it collectible to certain people, I think at this point the merchandising machine that Microsoft and Mojang have is less likely to look kindly on just arbitrarily changing stuff like that if it's not going to work for their merchandise line. This is also a way that Minecraft makes money outside of sales of the game, which are obviously going to plateau at a certain point. So I think it, it makes sense for them to start small with something less significant like the bat and something that they don't have to suddenly completely redesign the plushies of when they uh, decide to upgrade it in-game. I never thought about the merchandise stuff. It makes it makes sense. Uh, I hope that it doesn't hold them back from updating other animals. The the one thing that I can see them not changing is probably the creeper. I, I imagine that's probably going to stay yeah, relatively yeah. the same. Even if it get a texture update, it might just it would still say the same sort of form. Uh, the animation could be improved though. Like you could you could create some more squash and stretch and dynamic you know animations in in all of the mobs even in the sheep that you don't want to change the face of if, if it's such an iconic thing you could still update the animations in the way that they feel or even just behavioral 
you know, AI pathing and stuff like that could, yeah. be, could be more interesting too. Um, I really like the new bat, uh, as you know, someone that used to work in animation and I haven't done a lot of art professionally lately, but you know, have been an illustrator for most of my life. Um, the distinct features like the ear shape, uh, the wing shape and the dynamic flapping animation and great new colors really sell the idea of the bat. And for folks that don't know quite what I mean by dynamic flapping, if you think about someone swinging a baseball bat, if you broke that down frame by frame, there would be very few frames in the middle of the swing, which is the fastest part of the swing. But there would be a lot more frames at the beginning and the end. It's known as like a slow out and a slow in. And essentially, it kind of creates that dynamic motion. And that's what happens with the bat wing. So the bat wing has a slow down at the top, and then it it descends very quickly. And then there's a slow pull at the bottom before it ascends very quickly. So it has that very distinct flapping motion that we would all associate with bats and birds for that matter. But it looks great. The bat wing actually has segments. Unlike things like the Allay, uh, it, it has a hinge in the wing. So like it actually doesn't necessarily arc. If it was a drawing, it would be arced, but it, it has a bend to it depending on which way it's going. So there's a drag to the outside edge of the wing in the bat animation. And I mean, I notice it because I've I've got the trained eye for it. But what that translates to the average player is that it just looks good. Like it just, it looks like it makes sense. It looks like it's actually flapping. And um, the only criticism I have on that is that I wish it wasn't flying around so crazily because it's really hard to see all the work that they put into it. <laughs> You know, yeah. you kind of have to go into a creative world and spawn one in with no AI and have it like flap in place to really see what's going on. I find that the the pathing on, in the air is very helter-skelter. And while that might be the way that real bats fly in real life, it's really hard, hard to kind of make out this great new bat animation at the time. The other thing that struck out to me was its lack of nose. And it's still there. It's in the texture. And bats have like that kind of very distinct turned up nose, kind of like very pointy when you think about the average bat or the average cartoon bat. It kind of has like an upturned pointy nose. And I think I was I was just looking for that in the model as opposed to the texture. On the texture, they have two pixels. They're kind of like a purpley pink next to one another. And that is basically the nose between the two big eyes. And mm -hmm. It works when you see it still, but when you see it flapping around, it very much looks like the the bat has flown into a window and kind of got smooshed. But that's also kind of like how all the Minecraft models are, like the cow and the sheep. They don't have muzzles. They don't have like a, a snout the same way. Same with pigs, you know, like they just it's they're all very flat. And I feel like they've just kept with that Minecraft thing and. I don't know if it's it, like it, it feels a little bit strange, but it's still it's still a much, you know, uh, improved bat model compared to the other one yeah it's it's funny looking at them side by side and you look at the old one and you're like this is just a player face with a couple of <laughs> a couple of ears on the top of the head yeah. instead of the sort of the, the the ears that they need to hear all of those precise echolocations and stuff i think it it makes so much more sense to redesign the bat and it also works for the pixel proportions of the bat's size mm -hmm. um in 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 ways that i think is more consistent with their current art style so yeah like tens all rounds like the judges rule very good change and it's unlikely to change anybody's mind on how the bat behaves in game but i think people are going to be happier seeing them just because they're a little bit cuter than they used to be before well and that has um more to do with the proportions because if you look at the old bat uh the head 
in, in proportion to the body and the wings was much smaller. And while that might be true of bats in real life, it's not nearly as fun as it, or as interesting. So when you're creating a character, and because Minecraft is such a cartoony game, if you've got a bigger head and a smaller body, I mean, just look at the LA. They're adorable, right? And mm -hmm. cartoon yeah. bats, same thing. If you make a... It, bats can be scary for people, but if you put a big head and big eyes on a little body and a bat, it becomes cute, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely does. Um, so uh, going to the technical changes as well, uh, the tick command is, uh, I'm not going to make any, any strong assumptions here, but this seems like the work of Nembon once again, uh, carpet mod was the previous mod that people used to use for tick warping, uh, in order to, you know, speed up and kind of, uh, stress test certain types of farms and, uh, you know, test whether there's going to be issues with items accumulating further down the line or, you know, functionality stopping after a certain point. And it was just a, a smart way of benchmarking stuff without having to spend a, a full day, you know, testing how many items a farm was going to output or something like that. So uh, I don't know a great deal about Carpet Mod. I just know of this. And I think it's uh, a really smart thing to incorporate into the vanilla game. Maybe it's addition to vanilla is what's going to get me to finally use it. I think it looks really, really interesting from a couple of different angles. The kind of troubleshooting that you can do with a technical project you know it's it's really going to help people that are creating complex things and maybe having issues and trying to understand it but what i found really fun uh and i, I do these shoutouts a fair bit but they are really really good videos both eximavoid and mumbo put out uh snapshot or redstone related videos that talked about uh the tick speed changes the tick command and they explained them really really well and what i liked so much about that is that now if you've got someone that is doing like say redstone tutorials online and instead of just having to say look you just have to trust me that this thing does a thing and we have to get the timing right now they can actually slow the game down and like in you know or will be able to do so in vanilla minecraft and say if i put this down to like a, a speed of one which is like a 20th of what's really happening then you as someone that's trying to learn will have a visual representation. We often talk about this on the show where it's kind of hard to explain redstone without a visual aid. And you'll be able to see someone that say, look, I built this thing. It's a piston door. Here's the timing. But if we slow it down, this is what's actually happening. This is what's happening in slow motion so that you can better understand it. So for tutorials, I think it's just, it's a fantastic tool. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I I don't know if I'll end up using it in the survival guide, tempting though it would be to say like, <laughs> look, we can we can slow this right down so you can see what's happening. I would also be incredibly tempted to AFK at my mob farm with the tick speed turned up and try and accumulate resources a lot faster so I spend less time waiting around. And maybe that's going to work for some people's survival gameplay, but I feel like, I don't know, my, my audience demands a certain level of honesty from me at this point sure. <laughs> that I don't think I would want to want to risk doing that in game. But yeah, I think for, for creative tutorials, for farms for all of that kind of stuff and just for seeing update order and certain quirky java redstone behaviors i think it's a, a really good idea uh, the jigsaw selection and placement priority i don't fully understand it because i don't do that kind of creation in minecraft but it seems like good changes for map creators and for uh future player experiences it does make me think that this is technology that might be being used with the trial chambers that are coming in 1.21 and if this leads to less repetition when you find trial chambers, like if they seem to be different almost every time that you go, then I think that that will be a great thing for player experiences. And that could be, you know, 
an experience that could be brought forward to map makers and things like that. So from what I understand, it sounds like you can categorize the pieces of your build and say, okay, this is from the, you know, level one room family. This is from the level two room family. This is from the level three. And you can just tell the game to like prioritize level two over level three or one over three or whatever you want to do. And then it'll select randomly within that family. But because you've given it priority, it will just kind of like keep the the randomness happening, but still have a function of what you want. So like you don't want two easy rooms right before a hard room, just as an example. And instead you can say, no, 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 always have the difficulty ramp up gradually, but here's a bunch of different rooms that we maybe design within this structure that you can pick from randomly so that it's not the same every time, but the function or difficulty or reward or whatever it is that you want to do in your, in your map making is, is gradually controlled by the creator. And it sounds really cool. And I wonder what we might be able to get in future, maybe out of it in Minecraft, like for example, a more variety in end cities, you know, comes to mind as something that, that could be, this could be used for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's sort of emulating that procedural generation mechanic in a way that is more controllable by the player. And I think that's that's one of the more fascinating things. Like, you could imagine creating a map that effectively builds something like the layout of a Minecraft Dungeons level. Like, you remember your time from playing Minecraft Dungeons, how there would be effectively tiles that were the same on each run through the Creeper Woods level, but they'd be connected in a different order. Yep. And there'd be different, like, there'd be a switchback in one area that you just never saw in other versions of the map. And that would thread into a completely different area than what it was the last time you played the level. And imagining players being able to go through a series of dungeons like that where they don't have to just generate tons of different iterations of it. You can press a button and the whole thing rebuilds itself from the ground up or from the top down, depending on whether they've structured it that way. I think it makes perfect sense. And it's a really, really neat thing for players to have access to beyond it just being a tool that the team can use i think it's really cool that they expose this stuff to to uh players and map makers and content creators as well yeah 100 percent. moving on into chunk mail this week if you would like to email the show you can send a message to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com first one comes in from specter vamp subject is imbued armor hello johnny and joel specter vamp here I was a Penguin fan when the mob vote rolled around, but honestly, I think the options have immense potential. And all I think now is a way of wolf armor and how to best apply it to make it a possible worthwhile improvement. In my mind, even with armor, the wolves will still not be worth bringing into combat. They do not have natural health regen like the player, and in a sustained fight will ultimately die, especially when there's a fire potion or effects involved. What if you could buff the wolves with the armor? What I'm suggesting is a way to imbue the armor with a potion effect, with a debuff effect being an offensive advantage and a positive effect being a defensive advantage. The balance for this in PvP may be that the armor itself is really weak, providing minimal protection. Maybe the color of the armor could be based on the applied effect, thus also fulfilling the desire for customization. Spectre Vamp poisoned himself trying to imbue his wolf's armor with venomous claws. <laughs> it's it's not just a wolf it's wolverine now um i i know i've always pictured the wolves like biting stuff more than clawing stuff but uh who knows maybe the wolf armor changes that um yeah i i i like the idea i think it's 
kind of funny to imagine effectively instead of armor it's like a little doggy hydration backpack you know like those camelback ones with the straws and the, the dog is just occasionally sipping a strength potion or something to uh, give itself a bit extra damage that's quite funny yeah i like the idea of like a health buff it reminds me of uh is it totems that you can place place down in minecraft dungeons is that what they're called yeah like regen totems, regen and totems stuff, just yeah. like a yeah but it's like a mobile totem so like if you had a dog that had or a wolf that had um health armor and it would be constantly trying to give health to you know players within its range or maybe the challenge there is that it'll also heal everything you know like so if the zombies get too close close they'll start to heal uh, or maybe it's the reverse because we know that health potions uh kill zombies right so like maybe the the wolf becomes like a zombie deterrent because it will harm zombies that come within range but heal you and so makes you most more sustainable to attack from um skeletons and archers whereas you know before you know you wouldn't have that that help um i still think that there's the challenge of like wolf pathing in the game is not great and and i think too to um to um spectrogram's point they don't last that long even if they were brought into you know a situation where there's a lot of mobs then that could be uh, a problem depending on what mob might be um affected by it the thing i i have a hard time wrapping my head around about the idea of an aggressive potion on on the wolf would be how do you communicate to everyone that the player is then not affected by that so like if it's a poison potion in an aoe around the around the wolf how do you like it's not that useful if the dog's always trying to follow you and then also trying to kill you at the same time, right? So, because in the world, if you put a splash potion of harming or whatever on the ground, you even if you threw it, you can still kill yourself with it, right? I, I don't mess, yeah, I don't yeah. mess with potions, but I'm assuming that's how it works. So, like that, that could be a little bit of a sticking point. But the idea of the health regen, even if it's only the one thing that the wolf would do as a function. It just it reminds me of like St. Bernard's being used as rescue animals and like they would have like essential supplies hung around for survival in the dogs, you know, around the collar of the dog. Such a big dog, it can carry a lot of things. And so they'd send it up in the mountain to like sniff out and rescue the, the you know, the fallen climber, but then bring like, you know, water and food and bandages and stuff like that. And like that, that's a neat idea, like to have the dog help you rather than be part of the aggression out in the world it's like no man's best friend you know quote unquote to to help you you know and survive rather than defend you it's more like keeping you alive yeah i am wondering if something like this is coming with the wolf armor and whether it's going to be better for the wolves themselves or something that's going to assist players and i think both are viable options i do think wolves need to be made more useful in some way or another and i think with the armor depending on how much it resists damage it is still inevitably going to not be enough for some players and i think at that point it comes down to how much care you are taking with the animal itself which is again the, the problem becomes pathfinding like having spent a bunch of time with allays recently and not wanting the allays to run afoul of the warden when I dug down into this ancient city, I basically just made sure I left them somewhere that they were going to be out of range, otherwise they'd potentially like be flying around and their noises were going to distract the warden if it spawned. And so I can still imagine players not wanting to take their dogs into an ancient city, and most of the time you have the option to just tell a dog to sit somewhere and then you can come back and get it again later. But the dogs teleporting to you or having trouble pathfinding to certain areas, it ends up causing more problems than 
it, it outweighs the usefulness of the wolf being there. So that that's the thing I'm curious about with wolf armor in general. I think buffing them with potions is a really fun idea, and I would like there to be something to wolf armor beyond just what functionality we have with horse armor, which is honestly not that useful, and it just ends up being, you know, how do I want to decorate this horse? And we talked about there being effectively dog sweaters as a result now, so uh, yeah, maybe that's what it ends up being. But either way, I'm curious to see what they have planned, and how soon we're going to see it, considering that obviously the armadillo needs to be implemented before that, and that's probably not going to occur until next year. So we did have one more email come in, but it's about the copper bulb. So we're going to save that and kind of fold it into the main discussion. And because of the release uh, on Wednesday of last week, uh, I had some time to mess around with the new tough and copper blocks just in a creative world to, to play around with them. I know you did a whole video on the new blocks, exploring and looking for them in survival. So it's going to be an interesting conversation about like what that experience was like versus I was more just like aesthetically looking at the blocks. But I thought it would be fun to go over our first impressions and i mean giant asterisks is that these textures could change you know like the way that they're crafted could change there's a bunch of stuff that might change between now and obviously the release of 1.21 um but uh, to kick things off like what was your first impressions of the new the new block i'm really happy with the additions to copper naturally copper is kind of my thing <laughs> Um, or was for a while at least, and happy to revive that interest. Uh, copper bulbs are probably my favorite out of everything, but I'm still a huge fan of the copper grates. I think those look really nice. And from tough blocks, I think the thing I am happiest with is that we have slabs and stairs of natural tough, because that's a great landscaping block. And I've made, you know, everything from dry stone walls to cave landscapes and that kind of stuff. I think tough is a, a very versatile block for the stone palette. So I am less interested in the crafted versions, although I think a lot of them are great. I think I have the same problems with it that the majority of the community has been voicing is that the uh, tough brick texture is weird, the shadow line is along the top of the block and it doesn't line up with the other bricks. And then with the copper blocks, I think doors and trap doors are too expensive. And we'll get into that individually. Uh, but that's sort of my, my overview, my first impressions. How about you, Joel? So I went straight for the tough first as well. Like that's kind of where my you know curiosity was was aimed and um i was surprised at the amount of stuff that we got in the snapshot versus what we were able to kind of like sneak peek in the presentation at minecraft live because the the one chiseled block we saw uh had a different texture it the i think the squiggles were only along the bottom of it pretty sure and now the the the, the chiseled bits on the chiseled tough brick are on both top and bottom and there was also a chiseled tough variant so just the natural tough there's a chiseled version of that as well which you don't get with all of the different stones like we have a chiseled stone brick but not a chiseled stone block you know what i mean and yeah yeah and i think the only difference or the only time we've seen that happen in other places are i think i don't know if we we don't have a chiseled quartz like smooth quartz block but we have like a chiseled quartz block but then there's pillars so you kind of get two chiseled blocks in quartz as well it's just it's a different way of getting them they call them different things and yeah yeah but tough is the only one that has two variants that are called chiseled yeah though so it's like yeah it's, it's a very very different way of approaching this block palette yeah and two new walls was not expecting to get natural tough walls either uh in the same way that we have cobblestone walls so having that stuff right away was, was 
wild and the the tough you know expansion in the creative inventory was like oh my gosh there's a lot of stuff here you know yeah uh, yeah and i and also i did not have any trouble picking them out of the inventory like i feel like in addition to like just the display of them it was very easy to discern between tough polished tough and tough bricks in the inventory uh not something that i can say for things like blackstone and deep slate i still get confused sometimes as to what what is what depending on how they look in the inventory it can be a little bit dark sometimes so I, I thought that was great. Um, and then first impressions of copper, like, I mean, I went straight for the um, the chisel copper and the grates and because I kind of, I knew what the other copper blocks looked like. And um, the thing that struck me right away was the subtlety in some of the textures, uh, especially when you get into the oxidation and the amount of colors that they are still able to keep in there while having the additional pattern of the chiseled or the grate uh, model on the block was really, really interesting, as well as um, realizing that the copper bulbs were going to be off in the inventory. They look really different. Like when you think about them, you think about them lit and you don't think about what they look like unlit. And then you realize that you've got eight new textures with the copper bulb, not just four, right? Because it's just on and off. And then obviously the different oxidation levels. And um, I actually found uh, the inventory for the copper blocks to be very well organized and while there are a lot because you've got the waxed and unwaxed version in the creative menu uh, i thought that it was pretty slick like because i think there's now nine different variations of each oxidation level it's just one are, it's yes. just one line so it's very easy like are you looking for like which level of oxidation are you looking for and then you just go horizontal until you find the block that you want like it was very well organized in that way and it made me wonder like if there could be a way to organize uh, whether it would be like a, with a mod or something the creative inventory if you could keep it from like instead of just running on constantly if you could keep it line by line you know like if you could organize all of your spruce or your your um oak stuff and then your spruce stuff and if there was like a line break i know it would be a lot more scrolling but i feel like it would be easier to figure out what was going on at that at that point so it just naturally happened you know how it went for the copper but i thought that was you know because i don't spend a lot of time in the creative menu i just noticed quickly how easy it was to find the things that i was looking for once i laid everything out in the creative world i was just pick blocking you know kind of like an in-world palette more than i was going into the inventory but i was impressed with the versatility of the copper uh which i was not expecting uh, i i knew it was going to be cool to play around some new blocks but i didn't expect it to be something that would go so well with so many other different block palettes. Yeah. I mean, Culper obviously has the advantage that it comes in four colors. So if you don't like one of them, you might like one of the other three. Yeah. And the thing that surprised me about the Culper bulb, not to jump ahead too much, was the fact that it's the interior section, the section that changes when it lights up, is still the same oxidation level as the rest of the block. So it's not like there's just a framework around something that doesn't change. If it's a fully oxidized block, then it has that darker cyan uh, kind of cutout section of it. Whereas in the full, you know, fresh copper block, then that's more of like a dull brownie kind of orange. And it, like the, the, the lamp itself, the glowing segment of it, oxidizes along with the rest of the lamp when it's switched off. And when it's on, obviously, you can see the different stages of lighting, but it's as though it's shining through a very thin, almost like mesh of copper that's 
able to retain the color when it's switched off. And I think that's a, a really smart way of doing it because these have enormous potential as decorative blocks aside from just their use as a lighting block. Yeah, I agree. I think it gives you, you know, it's almost like having a second chisel block. You know, it's just it's just a, a, a bulb that's off and and provides that kind of stuff. And because of how chunky the bulb is, they, they look like they have a good weight to them too. So you, I could see them being used as like, you know, making something look like a counterweight or, or something heavy, you know, in, in that way. Um, to go back to, you know, the, the textural experience and just kind of using these blocks, you know, decoratively, I, I feel like I was drawn immediately to the stairs and slabs and natural tough because I've been doing so much landscaping lately. My brain just went, oh man, I wish I had these now. And when I looked at the other variants, I found that the polished tough variants worked way better with other things. Uh, I found that they were able to be worked into stone walls. Uh, they work really well with polished andesite. They look really cool next to polished andesite. And uh, I think that, as you mentioned, the tough bricks need a lot of work. That's where I was unsurprised because I kind of spotted it, you know, when we first looked at these textures. And once the first thing I did was build a brick wall and then try to get the tough brick in there. And from a color standpoint, it could work. It could look really, really cool and have a nice bridge between you know, tough and stone and deep slate, but it just, it just doesn't <laughs> because of the way that the mortar lines hook up and because of how high contrast tough bricks are right now. I really feel like it's, it's like they've gone 80% of the way there and then they've just done something different either on purpose or not. And it just means that you just can't use it in so many other places where it could be used. And even if they're trying to be a little bit different, I feel like they should they should go back and, and just switch and have the mortar lines on the bottom so that it actually lines up with the other bricks in the game. Because I think when you tell the player, this is a insert material here brick, there's an association in your brain that says this will work with other bricks. It's going to line up with them. And the texture might not work. Like, so it's going to be really difficult to use, um, you know, um, uh, a lighter brick color, you know, with a darker brick color, but you're still going to be able to at least line them up if you wanted to have that contrast. And it's not going to look like it's off by a pixel, which I, makes my eye twitch. Like it's, it, it really doesn't work. And so that, that was my big kind of, I wasn't surprised, but I'm just like, yep, this is the problem I was anticipating. And, and I, I really wish that they had, um, they had, I hope they switch it. I hope they, they move it in the future. And the thing is that the chiseled blocks, the chiseled tough blocks, don't have that. The mortar lines line up with regular bricks. So it's weird. Within the family, you can't even line up chisel blocks. Chisel tough and tough bricks don't line up. Yeah, that is that is really strange. And I, I wonder if it's just them trying something new sure. or if it was just yeah. something that, you know, happened by by accident. I don't want to assume that stuff like this is necessarily an accident because I would not mind the brick texture being subverted in terms of our expectations and them trying something new if there were more things that matched it and i think i, I gather that it's it's probably quite difficult for the art team to introduce multiple blocks that line up this way if there's only one new material that they can really do that with like tough because copper already has the tile kind of the cut copper block is you know they can't introduce copper bricks and then have them also line up with the the tough bricks right but yeah i i think there's a couple of 
examples where stuff like that has happened in the past and then they've just gone back on it and gone you know yeah you're right this should line up with the regular bricks like if if they ended up introducing another set of bricks if they introduced like calcite bricks let's say for example or or they turned basalt into another line of bricks that was probably going to be fairly similar to tough if they introduced those at the same time and said look these bricks connect even if the ones you're already used to don't that'd be fine by me because i'd at least see the logic behind it but it's difficult to see the logic behind just inverting the brick texture like this and obviously doing a lot to bevel the the 3d effect that these bricks have so the texture feels different to stone brick but it also feels different in one significant way that's going to make everybody's eyes twitch um so yeah i i'm hoping that something like that comes along or at least maybe we get a better understanding of why they've made that change if they decide to stick to their guns um outside of that though i think yeah i love the chiseled blocks i think they're great for pillars and other details I do wish that they could be rotated because the top textures of those looks really cool. I'm starting to understand why they can't, though, because if you think about it, typically we're working with like a three axes, basically, like the, the, the north, south, the east, west, and the up, down. And so it's difficult if you're placing a block on its end to specify up, down, but also rotated east, west without having lots of different block states for a block that you're trying to place. And while, you know, that might seem trivial on the surface, if you want to do that with every single block, then you're going to end up with a lot of different block states and the game has to store more data and potentially that weighs things down. So while I think it would be really cool to be able to upend the chiseled tough bricks and have those sort of like lasagna um, zigzags running vertically up the side of a wall, I can understand why, because you could maybe do that in one orientation, but not rotated 90 degrees from there without restructuring the way different block states and different rotations of blocks work behind the scenes i i mean the way that you're describing it functions very much like a log right like you just look at a block face yeah. and i mean stairs do the same thing i i agree i think it would be awesome i love the top and bottom texture of the chiseled tough bricks like they look sweet and really fun uh optical illusion if you put them on the ground they look concave, uh, sorry, convex. It looks like there's a polished brick that kind of sticks out, um, you know, from the frame. Uh, if you put them on a ceiling, they have the inverse effect. They look convex. It looks like a divoted ceiling. And so, I mean, I will definitely be using them in a ceiling at some point because it looks fantastic. I have a basement in a keep, you know, that mate, you know, that might get a rework down the line. Uh, it just, it has a very cool look to it. It looks, uh, old but fancy at the same time and and i quite quite like it and and because they work with other blocks uh because of the way that the mortar lines work you can work them in with regular stone bricks you know with um with other brick blocks and they they line up which could be kind of fun i i didn't test it when i was in the, my creative world but um having that up against a higher contrast block that has an edge to it like a quartz block or a, a sandstone could be really interesting because if the lines, you know, work well and it looks like it's the same kind of structure, then you could have some really high contrast stuff going on. Um, I would love for that top bottom texture to also be a wall texture. That would be cool too. Um, but I understand that directional blocks might want to be left to be more special. Although, I mean, there's nothing special about logs. So I don't know. Um, I, I would like the, the same sort of thing with um, profession blocks, you know, like depending on which way you face, just like a 
uh, a furnace will face you depending on how you lay it down. It would be nice to be able to do that with something like the cartography table or the fletching table and stuff like that, but they just have these like static um, things. Uh, really good to point out too that um, the, the crafter has that functionality uh, because of its redstone connections and the way that they want it to work. You can really kind of turn that around in different orientations, but the original crafting table doesn't. And so you can't really use the crafting table for any texture unless you're like building a, a room that just happens to face the right way. And so I'd like to see them do that whenever they can. And I, like you, I don't know what that means from a, a weight side on the amount of information that has to go into different block orientations and block states and things like that. But I like the idea of it. I hope it's something that can be worked into things in, in the future. It's also it depends like which direction you're facing as a player when you're placing logs and so for example like if you were able to upend the chisel tough block you couldn't necessarily do that while looking at a wall and placing blocks you'd have to be like placing it on top of another block so it may just be something that they end up choosing to do for simplicity's sake and for the quality of a building experience like you know on the one hand you are reducing the amount of options players have by only allowing them to place it in one orientation but on the other hand you're preventing the frustration of people having to pillar up just so that they can place every single block in the correct orientation so, yeah like there's a few considerations there that i feel like we take for granted when we say like hey this should be rotational and every block in the game should well should be able to rotate i run into that when i'm placing i use basalt the end of basalt as like a dark cobblestone sometimes and if i'm building a wall mm -hmm. i need to have something behind that wall to place the basalt against so there's like you have to build yeah, like a temporary yeah. wall behind your wall before you texture it it's it's a it's an extra step it's worth it for me but like it might not be worth it for everyone and might not be intuitive for everyone either like that's the other thing too right absolutely but yeah um to, to quickly recap a couple of other things polished tough and polished andesite are a match made in heaven yep they, they just look like a lighter and darker version of the same thing which is great um really really like that and nice to have more range in the polished family of blocks in general but also equally impressed that we get slab stairs and walls of that uh so we've you know we've got three more slab stairs and walls than we thought we were going to have uh so that's that's a, a really nice change and yeah i i think the um the the tough bricks are something that i will probably find good uses for I, i've seen a couple of people like mythical sausage posted a screenshot in which he was texturing a wall using the tough bricks and didn't have them connected to any other bricks and in isolation like that they were fine it's only when you put it strictly side by side with another brick texture that you notice that there's anything right. really different about them um but moving on to the copper stuff first of all like i said earlier huge fan of the greats uh was very excited to see a copper block with that level of like transparency in it and i think they look very delicate they look like you know filigree work they sort of remind me of the patterns that you see in um middle eastern like windows like in in windows in say like morocco for example you, you could find Agreed. stuff like that where yeah it's like to provide a bit of shade and there's still like airflow and stuff so I, I think those can be used in a variety of different builds and they look really nice in the middle oxidation stages because you have the largely speaking kind of pinkish color of exposed copper but with a couple of little flecks of green that almost seem gem like as opposed to staining the copper like it does in the full size blocks so i think those are really quite cool um i've seen a lot of people in the community calling for them to have more unique functionality uh, like at minimum being able to waterlog them the way we can with leaves and you know beyond that 
people suggested that maybe bubble columns could be able to flow through them while blocking items, and that could make for some interesting options for vertical or like water stream item sorting, basically. So there are potential ideas in the works for that kind of stuff, but beyond that, purely on an aesthetic level, I think they're a really good addition to the game. Yeah, I thought the functionality of uh, obviously being a block that doesn't block light, so light will travel through them, and then also not being something that a mob will spawn on, meaning that if you wanted to do some mob proofing, you don't have to do glass or, or leaf blocks. You could do copper blocks instead and have a greater variety of oxidation and colors and options and things like that. I thought it was neat. Uh, I went the same route that you did. I, I really like them, preferred the the kind of middle oxidation ones as they have more flexibility because they go with orange and pink and green. And I uh, was building little, little little window frames and stuff in creative. And then what I ended up doing was layering stained glass behind them. So you could have like a, an emphasis on the pink that's in one of the oxidation stages by having a pink glass wall behind them. Uh, or uh, green stained glass, uh, not so much the lime, but the green stained glass went well with both because they all, I mean, they all have some level of green in them. Uh, and, and I thought that that was really interesting as well. Um, I didn't do one with orange, but you could probably see the, the way that it, it could work together. And so my between that and then, you know, going into like glazed terracotta and thinking about other things that they go with, like you could really do some some cool stuff with them. I I hadn't thought about waterlogging them. I I guess you could. I, I I sort of thought you could maybe use them if you wanted to try to create like a metal tree or something, but they they still to me don't look like they could be passed off as an organic block. They they're very engineered. They look very yeah. manufactured, so I I don't see them being used in that way. And I I think because we now have cherry blossom in the game I, I don't think we need like a pink block <laughs> we have one if you want a pink tree like it exists you know and plus there's other things that people have done over the years too with like you know concrete powder and different stuff like that so um yeah i i, I quite like them i think they're going to be an interesting block to to play with and they have that industrial kind of vibe too in the way that your uh, in your factory build that you shared earlier this episode with the uh, trapdoors, uh, I'm blanking on the tree. Um, acacia. Acacia. The acacia trap I kept on wanting to say azalea, and I know that's not right because there's no such thing as an azalea yeah, yeah. trapdoor. Yeah, so the acacia trapdoor uh, has that vibe that goes with the red brick texture. And I think that you could also substitute the copper grate if you have the room because obviously the copper grate is a full block and the acacia trapdoor is, is just a trapdoor size. Yeah, I mean, and beyond that, we now have copper trapdoors to consider as well. Um, and I, I think those are, are really great too. Like, you, you have so many options for color changes with those that were just not present at all before. Like, introducing copper anything obviously means you get four colors of it. And I think it's it's really neat to introduce something other than wood that can be available in so many different colors so that any new block in that is instantly going to have, like, a range of possibilities introduced with it so the ability to have kind of greenish trapdoors and the oxidized copper trapdoors will work well with a prismarine aesthetic if you want to use them for stuff like that i think that could be cool for i don't know undersea builds and submarine kind of stuff i think that that'd be kind of fun um my main problem with those is the the recipe and oh, i, I yeah. still think the, the the redstone uh behavior the the sort of interactions and and 
player interactions with them could be different. I, I understand why they've done it this way, because with players obviously wanting to use these as building and decorations and stuff like that, using redstone on a bunch of trapdoors would feel kind of clunky and in terms of what the redstone functionality would provide for contraptions the copper bulb already does this but i i, I would like the idea to um either like invert what happens with iron doors where you know players can't interact with them but they open with a redstone interaction to either have you know a single redstone interaction open it and then it stays open and then another redstone interaction closes it similar to the to the copper bulb or to have a redstone current basically lock you out of interacting with the door. So if you had a redstone torch underneath it, it would stay open permanently and a player couldn't close it. Like there could be a couple of things like that that would give it unique functionality that might lend it more value in the broader scheme of the game. But my my main problem with it is that it currently costs six blocks of copper, full copper blocks, in order to make either a door, in, in which case you get three similar to the wood recipe, or two trapdoors. And I think just in terms of the amount of material in versus the blocks you get back, that feels excessive on a level that obviously people have said this about wooden trapdoors for a while, but I think it's even more so when you consider these are full copper blocks you're putting in. It'd be like crafting trapdoors out of logs. Right. Um, it feels like too much. And... I think the switching to the iron door recipe of six copper ingots feels too few. Uh, but obviously right now they're crafting, you know, three doors or two trap doors each. And the iron trap door, you get one for four iron ingots. Um, so maybe they could switch to that. But obviously they are trying to balance it against the abundance of copper that's available when you go mining. Like you get, I think with Fortune 3, you get something like seven or eight copper raw copper on average so you get almost enough to make a full block and so per block of ore you are likely to get about enough to create a full block of copper but you're still mining six ore in order to make two trap doors in that case and i think if you equate that to logs you can break down a log into four planks so for one block there you're getting four blocks out of that and that's two-thirds of the way to being able to make a couple of wooden trapdoors. So my proposal for that would be that doors and trapdoors could either be crafted one-to-one -one from the stone cutter, or they should be crafted from cut copper. So that way you're putting in one copper block, you're getting four cut copper back, and once you have six cut copper that way, it feels like, you know, the, the the mathematics checks out at that point because it's effectively like breaking a log down into four planks and then using those to craft a door or a trapdoor. Yeah. I think I think that's how they balance it because right now it feels way too expensive even though copper is so abundant. And that's what we've done on the Citadel with a data pack for trapdoors. You know, you put a log into the stone cutter and I'm pretty sure it's eight trapdoors you get for one log. Yeah. That, that's a, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. A, I'm leaning a little bit on the, I just want a lot of trapdoors. But I could have easily made that four, and still it would have been a better ratio than the six planks to two trapdoors or whatever the original recipe is. And uh, so I'm right there with you. Uh, one, I was surprised that you don't use copper ingots to make a trapdoor, right? In the same way that you would use iron ingots to make a trapdoor. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think that works out because the way that your math works, if I was following it it's like one and a half copper blocks to get two copper trapdoors 
as opposed to yeah, six. A- absolutely. Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. Like the, and that and that sounds more, you know, more flexible. I, I'm okay with the, the redstone functionality. I kind of wonder whether the reason it doesn't work with redstone, like a trapdoor and a and a copper door, is because there's no copper pressure plate. And like I wonder if they just didn't want to add that because then you have to add four copper pressure plates with all the different oxidations and stuff. And and yeah. And right now with the pressure plates that are in the game, they have like different like different redstone or weight outputs be- between them. And then you'd have to figure out how a copper pressure plate would work in there. So like I'm okay with them not functioning. If anything, I find the functionality of iron trap doors and doors to be really annoying as I'm trying to decorate with mm-hmm. them because you then have to pass a redstone signal if you want it to be up or down, depending on how it naturally goes. And I've used some iron trapdoors in in good ways when you like you you want them to be only redstone um activated like say you've got a garbage chute where you're putting in items you want to be destroyed and you can only open that chute with redstone because you don't want to throw anything in there by accident or you don't want to fall in by accident like that kind of a thing and that makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense um with the texture of the copper trapdoors what i found really peculiar is that it is it's the exact same texture as a copper block with just with holes cut into it and so if you put that copper trapdoor over copper, like if you're using it in the same way that a lot of people use uh, trapdoors, myself, spruce trapdoors a lot to kind of smooth out roof designs, you know, go from slab to trapdoor, you know, up into stairs or whatever. Uh, when you do that with the copper trapdoor, it gets really noisy when you put it over copper. It uh, it really looks strange. In, in my example that I've got a screenshot in our live chat, I actually put it over prismarine because I was trying to experiment with different, you know, uh, teal colored blocks and a roof design and even when i switched it to be over copper blocks it was still really confusing and unclear it works as far as a shape language goes like it really helps smooth out a roof you can create those really nice kind of peak roofs and upturns and things like that but the texture itself i i think could be i don't know a little bit closer to uh to like to maybe the top section of the copper door do you know if it had Mm -hmm. like a little bit of an inset or something a little bit clearer now i will say that all of my trap doors on the citadel including anything that has a cutout in it has a 3d model it's not just a flat pixel plane there's actually like a depth section to it that's a texture pack i think i got from vanilla tweaks and I will probably be doing that with the copper trap doors as well to have them all line up and because of that um i i think that might help but it would be nice just in the vanilla texture i think if they changed it to be a little bit more distinct when it's put next to blocks of the same color because i think people are going to want to use this both as an accent block on its own but then also like to kind of blend in with other things and right now it blends in but it creates a weird kind of push pull that doesn't that it looks noisy It, it looks like it's cluttered somehow yeah, yeah, I have yet to do too many building experiments with these because I was doing a lot of my exploration of this in survival. So yeah, I'll, I'll have to withhold my judgment on how they're used until a little bit later. But yeah, I can I can see them having their, their ins and outs. And I think that's the kind of thing players will just get used to as, uh, as we get more experience with them. Um, before we uh, have to wrap up the show, I do want to touch on the email that we got uh, from Prime Prince uh, about the copper bulb. Um, so this one, the subject was unintentional features, which kind of caught our attention. And uh, Prime Prince says, Hello, Joel and Johnny. I love the podcast. I've been listening for about five months after discovering you. 
with the recent release of the crafter and the copper bulb in the latest snapshot, many of my fellow redstoners have been delighted with a lot of the functionality. However, I worried what would happen if one of the features of one of the blocks is unintended and may get reversed, thus removing some functionality. The main thing I'm thinking about is the copper bulb cooldown, which currently gives us an easy way to get a one tick redstone delay without complicated scaffolding techniques. I think there's a risk that Mojang could revert this due to it being an unintended bug. What do you think about Mojang letting down the redstone community due to bugs like this? The last time I remember this happening was when the pitcher plant used to have a weird hitbox in one snapshot which made it very useful for wither cages. Unfortunately this got changed in the following snapshot. Thank you. Prime Prince died due to placing their faith in a machine that relied on an obscure mechanic that got patched in 1.20.2. I, I don't know if this is a, a good comparison because I remember the hitbox of the pitcher plant, but I think in the description, calling it a weird hitbox also made sense in that the hitbox did not function the way that the model presented itself, as in it was surprising to players that you could do this with the pitcher plant. And mm -hmm. that to me felt a little bit exploitative because the, it was like the hitbox wasn't functioning properly. And then they were using an improperly functioning hitbox to then do something interesting with this particular, you know, block in the game, which to me just felt really unintentional. I don't know enough about the copper bulb, even from learning from the different videos this week to know about the cooldown. I knew that it was uh, something that you can create a, a T flip flop out of in one block and that the way that it worked. And I even had a discussion on one of my streams this week, trying to understand like, what is a T flip flop and like, how does it work? And you know, different inputs versus outputs, that kind of thing. And so I appreciate all that functionality of it. And I don't think that that is unintentional. I think the the fact that you can do like a T flip-flop with one block in Minecraft now, I think that's by design. I, I really feel like the copper block is is meant to do that. Uh, yeah. But with the the cooldown, I, like I don't know what a one tick delay, because can you not just do a one tick delay with other redstone components? Well, that's the thing. Redstone ticks, if you imagine like increasing the delay on a repeater, for example, that actually happens in increments of two game ticks. Uh, so what you think of as redstone ticks are actually two game ticks. It's one tenth of a second as opposed to one twentieth of a right. second, which is how frequently game ticks happen. Right. Yeah. And so the property of being able to produce something that happens in one game tick as a redstone reaction is quite rare oh, and so there will be very niche uses for this but that becomes kind of useful to the redstone community for uh delay timings and if something needed to have a three game tick delay mm. then you could have something that okay. produced a one game tick pulse chain into a repeater and a couple of other things right so th there's there's a bit of push and pull there and I honestly think that the examples given in this email are a little bit too disparate in terms of what Mojang wants to remove, even if it is emergent functionality. So I can't imagine too many instances in which a an easy way to get a one-tick redstone delay seems as game-breaking as a plant with completely unrelated functionality and intentions being useful for trapping the most destructive boss in the game right yeah like i i feel like the wither comparison is kind of overegging the power of what's possible with one tick redstone even though it's obviously very useful in the right hands i i can't imagine mojang wanting to leave something as easy as we can 
trap the wither in because the hitbox of a pitcher plant rises to a certain height and that you know pushes the wither just enough up into a block or something like that so i think it's it's a a curious argument that's being made here and i honestly think if it doesn't turn out to be something completely game breaking even if it's unintended it might stick around the other side of this of course being does it have the same effect on redstone in bedrock edition and while obviously they are not going to completely unify the way redstone works because of java's quirks and quasi connectivity and stuff like that which lead to the innovations that happen in the java redstone community and i think mojang is happy with those even though it's a real shame that they can't unify the two things i don't know if they want to introduce more parity differences to systems like redstone that would be unable to resolve in the near future so i think i think it's a it's a difficult argument it's a difficult line to walk um but i i think the argument that i would fall on the side of when responding to this email is try not to think of stuff we have been given in snapshots as something that is given to you and then is taken away right like we're still in a bug testing range of this like if something created a duplication bug it would be patched out and we wouldn't consider that duplication bug as having been taken away from us we'd say you know that was patched out because duplication bugs are potentially game breaking with stuff like this i don't think it's necessarily game breaking but try not to think of this as a mechanic we have yet because these are still test versions of the game during which functionality changes i think that's mojang's prerogative as the game developer i think it's really cool when stuff like this comes up and maybe highlighting the fact that it does this gives them the option to consider adding stuff like this more intentionally in future like they clearly have with the t flip-flop functionality of the copper bulb but i don't know if it's something you should rely on being there for the foreseeable future because it wasn't intended functionality to begin with yeah, I would agree with all that. And and if I am understanding the email correctly, it sounds like the copper bulb is giving players access to one game tick in redstone delay, which is like half a redstone tick, right? Because if a red, if a redstone tick is two game ticks, then having a one yeah. game tick redstone block is giving you like a half tick in redstone like it's it gets a little bit convoluted but it it yeah. the only thing i can think of is that if mojang wants redstone to be consistent as a one redstone tick is always two in game ticks then i think that they might change that to be consistent uh but if it's not harming anything um then then i think they i can see them leaving it in cuz like i think as you said the proportions are are too disparate in the email yeah yeah it's 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 an odd case and it's one that i'm sure we'll see develop and the redstone community is a very vocal one so i'm sure people will have a lot of feedback for mojang if um you know things end up changing as a result of new explorations with this and new finds but that's also why the playtesting phase of snapshots exists in the first place is for them to identify stuff that they don't think is necessarily going to be part of the game moving forward yeah either way uh going back to our thoughts on the copper bulb I think it's my favorite block they've added. I think it's my favorite texture, especially the weathered one. For some reason, the weathered, the kind of like greeny blue texture that it has is just 100% my cup of tea. And and I, I really like the way that block looks. So I'm, I'm happy that that one alone exists. And I can imagine myself using them more frequently as an aesthetic block and a detail block 
as just like a centerpiece in a mosaic design or something like that, which I see you've done in your uh, your screenshots from your tests on stream. Like I can imagine using it for that more than I could use it as a lighting block, even though as a lighting block, it adds a couple of light levels that we're not able to get through any other lighting source as far as I'm aware. Um, so it's got that going for it. But I think that the texture is just superb. I think they've done such a good job with that. And the uh, redstone interactions being unique is icing on the cake for me at that point. Yeah, I, I think that there's a trade-off between its functionality as, as a light where, you know, if you want it to be a full light source, you have to also be cool with working with the copper texture. It looks lovely as long as you want to have that kind of like coppery brown texture in whatever you're doing. So for me, I'm thinking mm -hmm. about like streetlights in the modern city on, on the Citadel. Uh, if I want to use redstone lamps on them, I have to have daylight sensors on them or I have to have a power source somewhere. And that limits your design. Whereas you can hang a copper bulb from a chain in the middle of the air and have it on or off. <laughs> like it's totally yeah. up to you. And I, and I think that that's great. You just have to, you know, hit it with a button and then destroy the button and it just stays. And then you have various levels. Now, again, you have to be willing to work within the copper texture, but if it works in your build and like, hey, you've got all kinds of different variations in, in light levels. And I ended up messing around with more of the lit block than I did the uh, the unlit. And what I was doing was dropping it into a floor tile pattern with um, orange terracotta, glazed orange terracotta. I think it's glazed gray terracotta that has the turquoise in it. And so that really worked well with the um, fully oxidized but lit uh, uh, copper bulb. And because the fully oxidized is the dimmest, I believe the light level is four, then mm -hmm. you could potentially have a bunch of these throughout your floor. They don't look like lights, but they would be lit and just enough so that if they're spaced out like every two to four blocks, then you have a spawn proof room that isn't lit at light level 15, right? Like it's just mm -hmm. the whole thing would be lit at max four. And depending on what you have for a ceiling, like you could do all kinds of cool stuff with this. And again, like you're going to be wanting to work with the colors within the block to have it match the floor pattern, unless you want them to stand out dramatically. Um, we actually saw some really unique uses of shroom lights in our Minecraft hangout this past weekend in a um, nether tunnel. And these would work really well, I think, in and amongst things like prismarine, warped wood, uh, depending on the oxidation level. So uh, especially the dark one that you like. I think that would work really well too. Like it just, there's a lot of potential with them. And um, I haven't really messed with it to understand the redstone capabilities, but the fact that it creates such a small T flip flop and you combine that with what's coming with the crafter. And I feel like between the crafter itself being such a good component, not just for crafting, but also for a comparator output with like basically nine buttons inside that you can turn on or off. Um, you end up getting real close to computer components and and things like that so people that are much smarter than me in redstone i think are going to have a field day with this stuff given enough time and once the behavior in the snapshots becomes consistent and they kind of know what they're getting i think it's gonna be really really cool yeah an exciting time for sure uh that's about all we have time for in this episode though folks so thank you so much for listening to this episode of the spawn chunks we'd love to hear your opinions about the new copper and tough blocks as well so if you've got them 
consider writing into the show and contributing to our future email segments. In the meantime, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today over at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that over at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can participate in the live show recording that happens every week, and our monthly Minecraft audio hangouts that happen every month towards the end of the month, usually. We currently have 333 paid patrons, which is up four from last week, so thank you to the four of you for jumping on board. And special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, Mind Trip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating or a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm also the voice for the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Links to everything I am doing online can be found at joelduggan.com. That includes the Citadel Cafe about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. It's my other podcast. I'm going to be recording with Stephen ESC, who is a server member on the Citadel with me. Uh, that's going to come up this Wednesday. I do those live in my Discord now. So just like the uh, the Spawn Chunks, if you want to listen live, if you're a member of my Discord, then you can tune into that. I am Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday, obviously focusing a lot on West Hill and Minecraft these days. Uh, but Friday, I build Lego and I just finished the UCS X-Wing Starfighter and it is very cool and very large. I don't know where I'm going to put it. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and it's not tough to find copper. <laughs>